0: Let's just all pause for a second so we have a good place to edit. I'm gonna drink a little coffee and then I'll I'll do my little my little intro thing. Ooh. We mm-hmm. had to take Miles out of the room because he was he was gonna be the phantom of the podcast otherwise. <laughs> He's rattling. Mhm.
1: Oh.
2: Oh.
0: the Haunted Davenport Podcast, where we talk about retro horror and sci-fi television. I'm Allison, and with me are my co-hosts, Val,
2: hello,
0: and Drew. That's me. Due to scheduling problems, Andy wasn't able to join us this time, but I feel like he'll be back with us next time. We're going to try and get out regular episodes more often, and so sometimes there might be one of us absent, depending on what's going on in our crazy lives these days but we'll uh, keep coming together and talking about good stuff and for t- this episode we're going to talk about a movie that val picked it was a made for tv disney movie from the year 2000 called phantom of the megaplex so take it away val
2: um yeah so phantom of the megaplex uh premiered on november 10th 2000 and it of the highly esteemed Disney Channel original movies from the early 2000s that um, they would premiere like once a month, like on a Friday night usually. And I actually saw this movie uh, the night it premiered because I was a very big fan of the Disney Channel original movies. I was nine years old when this came out. So The Phantom of the Megaplex is, as the title indicates, a loose interpretation of the phantom of the opera, just like as a story trope, the story centers around a 17 year old, um, like movie theater assistant manager named Pete. And there is a, like a huge fantastic movie premiere happening at the movie theater where he's the assistant manager. And Pete is like this like type a too mature and precocious for his own age type of character Um, and he has like a a wacky cast of co-workers and employees who are also teenagers who work at this Megaplex and the thing that we're told in the intro of the movie is that the Megaplex was built on the demolished site of an old-timey theater and so that's where this urban legend of the Phantom of the Megaplex comes from is that it it is suspected that an employee from that original small town theater that was demolished to make room for the Megaplex died in the demolition and is now haunting the Megaplex. Nothing has ever come to fruition of this until the night that the movie takes place. Um, Hijinks ensue. Mickey Rooney is in this movie, which is absolutely wild. (laughs) yes (laughs) so mickey rooney plays like an elderly movie patron who does not work for the cinema but whose family owned the original cinema and he just like has a love of film that harkens to uh yesteryear to the golden age of hollywood where mickey rooney was a prominent teenage heartthrob uh and also, was he ever really a hurt girl? I
0: was just thinking, that's, I, I mean, maybe I don't know. We I weren't think, around back I then. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I rem,
2: like he, people. He was like the love interest in a lot of those like teen movies right. where, um, Judy Garland was always being cast as his like best friend gal pal, and he was always winding up with like some very beautiful young starlet. Um, and so yeah, Mickey Rooney. What a what a confusing, uh. Guy from pop culture but yeah so the the (laughs) premise is that the premiere night is just full of mishaps and accidents and eventually uh the character the main character pete his two younger siblings notice that the accidents that are happening within the showing the screenings of other films are related to the titles of the films they determine it has something to do with a an actual living phantom of the Megaplex. And they set out to solve the mystery of who is terrorizing the movie theater on this incredibly important movie premiere night. Uh, and full spoilers, they do solve the mystery of the Phantom of the Megaplex. Um, extra yeah, full spoilers. Yeah, we spoiler. will be going into spoilers.
0: <laughs> yes, we will be spoiling always.
2: this whole movie. <laughs>
0: And if you want to check this movie out before our discussion, if you've never seen it before, you can check it out. Currently, it's streaming on Disney Plus. If you don't have a subscription to Disney Plus, you can do a free trial, watch it, watch some other things, and then shut it off. You know, damn the man. Yeah. <laughs> or the mouse. This is, I mean, honestly, of all the DComs
2: that I've seen, like the early, like the 2000, 2001 ones, are the ones that I remember most prominently. And this is one that always really stood out to me because of my enduring love for the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Phantom of the Opera. Yes. (laughs) Which I have seen performed live at least four times, like off the top of my head.
0: And it's not even that good. (laughs) Do you have a favorite version or production of this story? So I have never... Seen the
2: original film Phantom of the
0: Opera, um, Me the one, either. and they showed clips yeah. at the beginning of this, and I felt like a jerk that I've never watched that.
2: Yeah, um, I've also like honestly I've never read the book, the 1910 book by um, Gaston Leroux. Um, so like my first introduction to Phantom of the Opera was in the 90s when my mom had the CD soundtrack to the Broadway West End production with um oh god what's his name the guy from Hello Dolly uh that doesn't matter but yeah he played the <laughs> Phantom and so like that was my introduction to it like in the 90s and then um my brother Andy and I were just like very very into it for many many years um but we, I, may have to get
0: his, we might we have to get his thoughts on this for for a later episode and see if, if he catches up with the movie. Yeah.
2: But yeah, the, um, the Lon Chaney 1925 film, like, I I don't really enjoy silent movies, and so I haven't seen very many of them, and that's one of them. But, like, Lon Chaney was a master of many faces, and so I think that that one was considered actually quite scary. Um, I have, however, seen the 2004 Gerard Butler Emmy Rossum adaptation of the stage musical which was generally panned, considered awful, and about two hours too long. Uh, (laughs) I remember that was, I saw that movie in theaters when it premiered, because that was um, my eighth grade year, and I was very excited. And I remember just being incredibly disappointed, because the, the main criticism that a lot of Broadway productions have when they transfer to film is that it just loses sort of that Whatever magic sort of covers up plot holes or things that you know wouldn't make sense otherwise, they're either over-explained or they're shown too often, or there just isn't that that sort of magic anymore. This is like a criticism that people have about like the most recently *Miz* or the, the *Into the Woods* adaptation, or even like the *Hamilton* musical that premiered on Disney Plus at the beginning of the pandemic. Like it just there is something missing in the translation, and that's very, very true for the musical movie
0: adaptation. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Have but. you ever seen the Brian De Palma film *Phantom of the Paradise*? I haven't. What is that? It's basically a horror rock opera that um, is this. It's the story of Phantom. You know, the it's this. It's basically the story of Phantom of the Opera, but set around the rock and roll industry. And it's, it's awesome. It's very sad. It's um very over the top. It's got kind of a similar aesthetic as um, Rocky Horror Picture Show It came out around the same time. It was a uh, 19, let's see, 1974. And it's an incredible movie. I think you might enjoy it yeah I mean that sounds like it's all like I love rock operas love rocky horror I really enjoy camp in general Um, oh yeah I think you would I think you would enjoy this
1: it's just a little campy
0: (laughs) it's so good and it's it's got it's it developed its own cult following after it came out and rightly so because it's just got iconic costumes the phantom his look is very striking you've got um Paul Williams who's You know, playing an evil record executive, which is fun, and um, it's just it's.
1: Who knew he could be so menacing?
0: Well, yeah, he has. He yeah, he has this record company, and everything is very macabre. You know, like the logo is like a dead. I think it's a dead bird. It's been a few years since I've seen it.
1: Swan song. Yes,
0: yeah, and so it's, but it's it's glitzy and glamorous and depressing and over the top. So check that out if you haven't, and if that sounds like something, you know, to the listeners, if they'd be interested, I recommend that. And then if you want a cheesy good '80s time, I recommend checking out *Phantom of the Mall*, *Eric's Revenge* dying. from '89, <laughs> and Polly Shore's in that one, and that's it's ridiculous. I think it might be the but it's first fun. movie with
1: Paulie Shore.
0: Maybe. And Polly Shore is just great. He's just like he's young. Polly Shore before he was huge but he's basically just you know kind of doing his person yeah he's wheezing the juice <laughs> there's a is he like driving around the mall in a golf court and a golf no, at one food, or like a, a little
1: he has a uh, a scooter yeah
0: anyway he's he's the yeah. funnest thing about the movie it's but it's it's kind of it's kind of a ridiculous premise but it's also fun and um This movie that we're going to talk about is a lot more pulled together than that one, but I recommend checking that out. It's probably on YouTube.
2: So there's a night gallery episode about Phantom of the Opera 2, which uh, it's called Phantom of What Opera? And it's from 1971.
0: Oh, man, we should have done that as a bonus for this. Yeah,
2: I wish I had. um, I mean, we can always we can always circle back and do an addendum because Like, Phantom of the Opera as a thing has a lot of source material. Phantom of the Megaplex is just, like, a flash in the pan of true brilliance um, that the Disney Channel offered us.
0: This is really – it was really – actually, I was kind of excited about your pick because right now, being in the middle of a pandemic, we can't go to the movie theater, and, you know, Drew and I – have been hardcore supporters of little independent theaters here in the Portland area, specifically the Hollywood theater. And if you're playing along, take a drink um, <laughs> or go donate some money to them. Cause they could use the help, but we love, we love the independent old historic theaters. They're great, but I also really enjoy Now it's saying an old school Megaplex that came up, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And I have lots of memories of going to them as a kid and seeing multiple movies and everything's decked out with like neon lights. You know, you had your giant regal cinemas and cinemarks and um, they were just there's a fun atmosphere that's now very dated, but I remember when I was young when you'd be in one of these big places and there's all these different movies playing right next to each other when you're walking down the dark hallway and you see the little lit signs for each theater, what's going on, it kinda of made me think of like like a retro futuristic spaceport where you're gonna go in each doorway as like a dimension to another story that you're gonna have this immersive experience. And it's just very i kinda of bummed I never worked at one because I had friends that did and like, you know, you get in for early sneak preview screenings when they had to watch the whole reel to make sure it was okay they did like the little preview for the projectionists and the staff and there's just something about that environment you know the over-the-top carpet patterns and the smell of the popcorn and you just you felt like you were going to be transported somewhere and then cinemark often had um these ridiculous little talking cat head garbage cans Yep. Yeah, Drew remembers those. My
1: mom was obsessed with them. She used to throw them <laughs> away. Just to hear them talk.
0: <laughs> well, like the year this movie came out, just to show how much older I am than Val, I was, a, I think, a freshman in college, freshman sophomore possibly, um, and I was living in, I was living in Ashland, and the, Ashland had a really awesome, and still does, uh, old school theater right in their downtown. It's gorgeous, called the Varsity but if you wanted to go to a big multiplex you could either go to there was like a kind of a small one on the south end of town or you could drive to the next town over Medford which had this big Cinemark which was like
1: Tinseltown USA Yeah
0: it was like supposed to be one of like their their signature theaters with like stadium seating and really comfortable seats. And they had this cat logo. I don't remember. Do you remember what the cat was called? Front
1: row Joe.
0: Yeah. But he, so they had all these, they had these garbage cans and he like, you put garbage into the garbage can and he would talk. And what was it you were saying? Your mom really liked putting garbage into them yeah. and setting him
1: up. <laughs> Hi uh, Leslie. It, it wasn't front row Joe though. It was front row, row Joe. And there was, I think it was Popcorn Penny. And I don't remember the All short right. little fat cat's There name, were
0: multiple cats. But he
1: was the one that was the garbage can.
0: They had this courtyard with like a waterfall or a little fountain in front. And I remember my roommate, um, he and a bunch of friends camped out overnight to get tickets for, I think it was for the Star Wars prequel. Because everybody was so pumped they thought those movies were going to be so good. And they they camped out overnight in front of the Tinsel Town in Medford, and then later we all saw the movie, and there were lots of regrets, but, <laughs> yeah, I just, I was excited, because I just thought, this is kind of a fun, nostalgic place to go in your head, and, you know, it's 20 years ago, that was, you know, I mean, they were kind of a threat to, like, the smaller independent theaters, which is, sad but at the same time they were also kind of their own thing it's kind of like people loving blockbuster versus loving their little corner video store for those of us old enough to remember those things um so i really enjoyed that you picked this out val it was was fun and also kind of felt like it fit in with our kind of summer theming where we did eerie indiana and are you afraid of the dark i feel like this kind of falls right in with it it's um a little more eerie indiana than than uh are You Afraid of the Dark? Because it's not quite scary, but it's got, you know, it's got, like, spooky themes and quirky characters, and I definitely laughed multiple times when it, we were supposed to. Like, it was definitely intentional humor, not laughing at the movie, so I had a good time watching this. Yeah,
2: um, having having really not seen it since the year 2000, um, I, I was, like, very surprised by the plot is good. Like, it makes sense. There's a lot of characters, but you see enough of them to where it's like, oh, it makes sense that we, because, like, the opening sequence has the main character, Pete, introducing his wacky crew of co-workers with their, their nicknames, which I, I just love that, because it kind of, it's like an Ocean's Eleven-y type thing, where it's just like, right. and this is Scary Terry, and she's got conspiracy theories, and I just, like, I love it, because all of those characters interact with each other within this like small universe. And they show up just enough to where it like, it was meaningful that they introduced us to them. The right. only thing that I think was like kind of a waste of production value was um, like his love interest thing and his rivalry with that person who is not affiliated with the movie theater at all. Like, yeah. Right. Or we really didn't need that. Problem. Yeah.
0: I feel like, Di- I feel like Disney movies though, geared towards like, older kids and adolescents were kind of, they'd shoehorn that in, you know, it was like, oh, you got to have the little romance element in the story. I mean, it wasn't necessary. It didn't add anything to the plot, like you're saying. And those girls didn't really get to do much. You know, yeah. the most interesting girls in the movie are the sister and his coworkers. So. Yeah,
2: like, um, his sister and his little brother also play, like, a good portion of role because like they still have their child like wonder and their love of movies. That was an interesting aspect to this film is that Pete works at the movie theater is a workaholic. Um, we learned that like, it seems implied that he's taken on a real like parental role because his mother is widowed, which is like barely discussed, but that's okay. And so his younger siblings love movies, but Pete doesn't love movies. He just like, he's trying to get on that capitalism game. Um, And so, like, it's not, like, Phantom of the Megaplex is really not similar at all to Phantom of the Opera, but what it is, is, like, a cautionary tale about, like, working too much, having, like, being exploited and growing up too quickly and not taking time to, like, really savor the moment, which I think is why the Mickey Rooney character is important, and he is a I thought Mickey Rooney was the throwaway character when I was a child. So my perspective has really <laughs> has really changed. Um, because we see like the main character, Pete, his general manager, Sean, is overworked, underappreciated, and instead of feeling solidarity with the teenagers and his employee, he wants to throw them under the bus to continue climbing this chaos ladder to nowhere and ends up getting punished in the end by the owner of the movie theater franchise. Um, Like, there's a lot at stake, and we see, like, what the... Like, what that looks like when you just, like, forget to step, like, take a step back and put things in perspective. And when you're too consumed with, like, this one goal of, like, moving up the rank in a corporation that doesn't value you. And it was, it's, like, cool to see that as, like, a message to, like, younger teens, which was the Disney Channel original movie sort of uh, main demographic. You know, it's, like, taking time to see the value and appreciation of childhood at all stages, Um, and like not wanting to grow up too fast, which is cool in like a very like middle-class kind of way, because childhood and youth as a separate thing from adulthood is a very like middle-class and wealthier sort of like invention. But, you know, for what it is, I think it had like a very positive message without being saccharine, which is not what I was anticipating.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's... I liked the inclusion of Mickey Rooney's character. However, I do kind of find Mickey Rooney disconcerting in general. Like he just always kind of unsettled me a little bit and I found him, I feel like he was well-written, but he was, he was sort of unsettling. He kept kind of hovering over people and maniacally grinning all the time. And I just thought, wow, if I was on that set, I'd be like, please take a step back, Mr. Rooney. <laughs> You're just a little too close to me. Like, um, when the, at, at the end, because there's this, like, subplot of, like, will their mom get engaged to her longtime boyfriend because the fa- their father had passed away, and their father was a big movie fan and cinephile, and so it's kind of, like, his love of movies is part of the family bond, and they all make little quotes and references at each other. So this, it's kind of fun. If you're if you're somebody who's a movie nerd, this is sort of, like a like, a primer for kids to, like, be media savvy and love all these different movies and like the um main character's little sister is a horror nerd like she was trying to go see sneak into a slasher with her friends and I remember, let's see, I wrote it down. It's called University of Death, and I was just like, all right, that was that was me at that age, like when I was that that little girl's age. I was like watching horror movies with my friends and trying to see what I could get away with because I knew I wasn't supposed to see really violent things, you know, junior high era. I think that's when I started binging all the Friday the 13th movies. So I I was all about the sisters character. I was like, yep, that's relatable, <laughs> but um. I thought it was really cool that, like, they they have this family bond, but it's, I got sidetracked from the, the point with the boyfriend, so there's this boyfriend that's, like, in the picture with the mom, and at the end, they have a proposal scene, which just felt shoehorned in there, but Mickey Rooney is like, looming over the actress who plays the mom, and... It's just kind of uncomfortable to watch. And he's just like grinning, like ecstatically. It's like Dude. also,
1: where the hell did that ring come from?
0: Yeah,
2: he just it's a that prop that he prop. carries around mm-hmm. because he's always prepared.
1: Carries some some old dead lady's ring around or something. Who knows <laughs> oh, where it no. came from?
0: So we we were talking. Wives? Oh, sorry, Val. I said, what if it's his dead wife's? You know. Yeah, maybe. Oh, or some starlet that he was in love with. Oh God. Yeah, I don't so, know. I, I think, though, um, one of my favorite things about this was <clears throat> all of the different spoof movies that they were showing in the Megaplex, because they have all these different movies going on at once, like you would. And so they made up all these titles for things, and the kids are supposed to go see a movie called Farmer Brown Goes to Town, which... it made me laugh really hard and there was just like a weird poster and then there were just some awkward scenes of a farmer in a truck with his wife telling her to stay put which (laughs) coincided with the kids being told to stay put and then not staying put Mm -hmm. then there was these fun little parallels but it kind of reminded me of um there was this movie that came out in the mid-90s called matinee that was a joe dante movie and it has john goodman playing a william castle type character who. taking his films from town to town and he's got the gimmicks going like seats with buzzers and things like that you know aka like the tingler and they have these fun clips of these fake movies that they made and it's i love it when they do that like when you have movies that take place in movie houses you're often treated to really fun parodies of what kinds of things Might be showing like, um,
1: right where the writer and director is gonna just like make up all the movies they'd love to make as just for fun, but will never get funded, you know,
0: right? And it's just, it was just really fun. Like, I didn't even write them all down, but they had, um, oh, one really interesting thing because we, we learn as the story goes on that this, this phantom character is sabotaging the different films, but he's sabotaging them in a way that corresponds to the title, which I think you mentioned earlier, Val. Yeah. Um, but one of them was called Glimpses of Genevieve, and they were complaining that they were only seeing <laughs> glimpses of the movie. And I i don't know, the Glimpses of Genevieve kind of sounded like something that would be like a European art house porn. But <laughs> also I could say some things about Farmer Brown Goes to Town, but maybe I just have a gutter mind. But the <laughs> clips that they were using in Glimpses of Genevieve Apparently, according to... Was it IMDb? IMDb
1: yeah. Or
0: from the horror movie Alice Sweet Alice. So I feel like there's some, some... Like a genuine horror lover worked on this movie. Or maybe a couple. Which is really nice.
2: I mean, like the the writer of the movie... Oh gosh, what is his name? Um, it's like... Stu something? One second. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, no problem. Um, but yeah, the, the, the screenwriter... Oh, Stu Krieger, he wrote a lot of the Disney Channel original movies that I consider to be, like, the better ones, because they're funny, they translate really well to both, like, child audiences, because they're wacky and gimmicky, but also, like, there are those smart Easter eggs that you put into stuff, which is something that people really praise nowadays about, like, Pixar movies, you know, it's like, there is something... For the adults in the audience, there is something Definitely. for like the older teens in the audience. And so it so has all that re- rewatch value. And like Stu Krieger just seemed to really have a talent for kind of like figuring out what it was the the audiences were going to enjoy. And he worked on so many Disney Channel original movies that I think he was really um like rewarded for that that screenwriting. He wrote he all of the Xenon. Any
0: of the spooky themed ones? Like any like what are some of his titles that people might know? Um so he did all of the Xenon movies,
2: Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, Xenon the Sequel, and also Z3. Um and if anyone's ever seen that, like any of those movies, like Xenon is funny and weird and those are those are like classics that people re- enjoy very very nostalgically. Um, He also did Smart House, which has Katie Segal in it as an AI house manifested because the AI of the house, like, becomes too emotionally attached to the family that moves into her, um, which is, like, a a wild cautionary tale um, sort of of the, like, Philip K. Dick style of storytelling or, like,
0: Isaac Asimov. Like, be careful. Watch out for your Alexa, guys. That's all you have to say. She's nice. It's pretty funny
1: because there's that scene when they're, like, talking at the very end. Because the whole movie is, like, leading up to a big premiere they're going to have there. And the mom is, like, going through. She's like, I've seen Katie Seagal and who was the other celebrity? LeVar
0: Burton. And
1: LeVar (laughs) Burton. And, like, I'm looking at his writing credits, and Smart House was the one they wrote right before this one.
2: Yes.
0: So, like,
1: it was probably a Smart House reference.
0: Yeah, there were some some really funny...
2: Funny moments
0: in the dialogue, and also kind of clever reaction shots from kids. Like, I really love the look on the youngest brother's face when he's watching Farmer Brown goes to town. Like, he's just like, there's this quick scene, and he just like cuts back to him, and he's like, "Er?" (laughs) err. And they had a Shining reference when they're having a family conversation back at the house towards the beginning, (laughs) and it just they didn't go full on into it, but it was enough that like, you know, like you say for the adults in the audience, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> there was some, I really, I think that was one of my favorite things. It kind of reminds me of, um, there is a 1991 movie called Popcorn. That's a horror movie set during a horror film festival at a theater. That's a movie that I really enjoy. And I think if you're, if you're somebody who grew up with, movies like Matinee or Phantom of the Megaplex and you haven't seen Popcorn, you know, it's a little more violent, but it's not excessively so. And it's kind of a fun, campy horror movie. And it has a ragtag team of kids, you know, college kids running a theater. And they've got gimmicks and props and things are going crazy when they're trying to set up the props. And also kind of similar to the feel of the movie Matinee. Um, it's it's just, it's a fun, I love this kind of, this kind of premise and setup. I love the hijinks ensuing while movies are going in the theater and all the stories surrounding that. And so I, that's when I recommend and actually um, our friends over at the horror movie podcast just did an episode where it was about um, meta horrors of the silver screen. And so they covered popcorn in depth and they also covered the 1985 movie demons, which is a great horror movie that takes place in, in a movie theater as well. And then if you want non-horror and raunchy comedy, I'd recommend check out Cecil B. Demented. Because, like, the kids getting introduced at the movie theater at the beginning of this actually kind of made me think of the opening scenes of Cecil B. Demented, where you meet the ragtag team of guerrilla filmmakers who are all... They're basically crashing a film premiere to capture a starlet and make her be in their movie. And they have... You kind of get a little introduction to everybody at the theater at the opening, and it's really fun. That's probably one of my all-time favorite John Waters movies, which is weird to be like Disney movie and then go watch this John Waters movie. But I think if you like this kind of premise and you like, you know, and you're looking for something a little bit, you know, more adult and a little bit more insane,
1: not a movie written for children.
0: No, I mean this is this is I think a good entry for kids to like. If you think they're budding movie nerds, like I feel like kids would sure. totally enjoy this, or great nostalgia if you are looking back to your childhood, which is kind of like, you know, I think how it is for a lot of people in our age group. But there's definitely a lot of more adult movies that this relates really well to. Yeah. It also I, like reminds me of Radio
2: Land Murders, which is oh, another yeah. one of those things yeah, where it's like one. you get to see like I. I think what I really enjoy most about this movie now that I'm like thinking about it more critically is I've always really enjoyed um, movies that take place in a small space or like a self-contained space that expand out and show you all of the different inner workings of that space. So like Radioland Murders takes place um, during like the golden age of radio and you get to see like the workings of like what it takes to put on a big radio play um, and then, you know, murder ensues, et cetera, et cetera. But also, like, this shows you, like, the inner workings of the movie theater and what it's like to try and pull something large off there. And I think I really I enjoy that. That's probably also why I enjoy Ocean's Eleven so much, because it's, mm-hmm. it's self-contained. It's in that casino, and you get to see how the casino works. Right. <laughs> um, well, and also
1: those movies, often you have, like, a central character that you they're really good at their job because not only are they able to like circumnavigate whatever crazy thing is going on but they're also running like a theater or a radio program or like Mm -hmm. all these things they're doing at the same time so it's just yeah it's it's a behind the scenes fun little thing
2: also like one of my favorite tv shows is 30 rock and it's along the same lines where oh, it's yeah. a behind a behind the scenes look at a bunch of like the eccentric characters that go into every like dysfunctional creative workspace.
0: Yeah, and I thought I thought the characters I almost wish we could have spent a little bit more time with the staff of the theater especially the younger staff because yeah. I thought they were pretty fun and I and it kind of reminded me of one of the things I liked about Disney movies when I was a kid was that Disney actually took the time to kind of give characters more distinct personalities and you know make kids quirky and unique and stand out from each other and I and I you know because they're catering to children but they actually like it seems like there was effort and thought put into some of these kids and they seem like they had a nice camaraderie and it was you know it's a little bit cartoonish because it's like a children's movie but I also kind of felt like the kids were somewhat believable other than the fact that they're able to pull off a whole lot more than I think your average kid would be at that age but it's it was cool I liked I liked how they all worked together I liked how they were definitely a team nobody none of the actual theater crew was out for themselves or trying to, like, get anybody. You just had that one rival guy that was, like, interested in um, the main character, Pete's love interest, and, like, he wasn't part of the theater, and the theater crew seemed like they were going to back him up, you know? It was yeah, nice.
2: I think my favorite, like, very, like, seen very little um, movie theater employee was uh, Ricky Leary, a.k.a. Ricky Rolls. Because at one point, the general manager, in his, like, punitive, totalitarian state of movie theater that he's running, um, he's just like, no dinner breaks, no bathroom breaks, we need to pull everything off. And this child is like, that is in strict violation of our union contract. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that kid, because he is correct. We need more (laughs) of him. (laughs) We need more of those especially like if you think about there are so many specific rules for when you're hiring that age group from like 16 to 18 like if they're still enrolled in school like there are so many specific labor laws around um making sure that like they're not being child worker exploited which is super funny to like kind of like nod to maybe even um like non-intentionally I just really liked that character. I think my second favorite was the guy who um, cannot just like take a command. He has to like question everything, and they're dumb questions because I've worked with that person.
0: <laughs> I like <laughs> the
1: question mark.
2: I like to like
0: at all the creepy stories about oh things that have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love her too because her stories. I
2: want to know how they end, especially yeah. the one where she's <laughs> talking about
0: this one time. <laughs> now, when, when I was when I was in like junior high era like if that if I'd known a girl who had a bunch of stories like that she would have been my slumber party buddy and have been like let's have popcorn and tell me all the creepy things you've heard because when we were kids it was always it was always just fun I mean most of the girls I knew growing up everybody had a little bit of a taste for the macabre so I think I think it was fun that they had a character who was you know because she was very much into it I definitely remember
2: like just like the barest outline of a person like that, like a child like that from when I was in elementary school. Cause um, I'd been like crying or something at school as one does. And my face was all splotchy and red. And I was like walking from my elementary school classroom to like the office to see like, if I could just like hang out in the health room for a little bit, like remember elementary school, that was a thing that was totally like justifiable. And (laughs) I ran into this older kid like this older girl who I I don't even remember like how I knew her, but she stopped me in the hallway and she was definitely that weird kid, the weird kid with the scary stories. And I don't remember her name. And in my mind's eye, she looks like a young Gabby Hoffman.
0: Nice. And
2: I remember her telling me that she looked at my face and she's just like, You have, like, this weird specific rash that, like, you know, I think is, like, I think maybe she told me it had, like, scabies or something. And I was like, no, I've just been crying. Because I didn't know what that was, and I doubt she did either. But she was definitely (laughs) that, like, slightly too precocious, slightly older child with not enough information. And I think about, I, like, think about her all the time. Like, what a weird archetype to just don Like, what was her home life like? What is she up to now? What was her real name? I have no idea. None of these answers. But she's very much like that scary Terry kid. I guarantee you that's what she grew up into. Her her
1: home life was a lot of hours just spent on WebMDB.
2: 100%. Web M D. Yeah. I can't, gosh, I can't remember what she told me I had, but it was something so odd. And it stuck with me forever. (laughs) it's not thrips because that's a plant problem and a parasite, but it's something weird like that. Sure. (laughs) I just like those children, like the thing I like most about like the, the ensemble cast of Disney movies is that the children while being like cartoonishly one dimensional are rooted in these very real interactions and experiences that young, young people have. Because mm-hmm. young people have such strong personalities um, that are, like, that are so genuine before they start to, like, flesh out and, like, become, like, multidimensional, complex young adults and then adults. Like, children are so strong in their opinions and so strong in their convictions. And I think that Disney Channel does, like, a very good job of showing that without, like, necessarily marking it as a negative quality. Yeah. And I don't I don't usually have nice things to say about Disney as a, thing but like that's like a cool they like know their audience very well to a point where it feels very genuine
0: I think the people who work in the creative capacities for the Disney corporation are actually pretty cool and pretty insightful because a lot of the things I see coming out of their corporation are really insightful and really heartfelt and, and you know dialogue that's well thought out and there's a lot of emphasis on you know, human interaction and connection in a way that's really meaningful and, and great for kids and adults. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things about the corporation as a whole that are very, very problematic. But I think the people who are, you know, writing, writing stories for them and doing animation and the Imagineers, I think those are all really wonderfully creative people. And we get a lot of great things out of them, and I think you know Disney wouldn't exist if it wasn't for all of them. Because I, you know, whenever I, I I'm not really gung ho to go see new animated things as much as I love animation as an art form. But whenever I do catch something recent that Disney's done, I'm always fairly impressed. Like we, we watched Moana earlier this year for the first time, and you know we're super late to that party, but it was just so moving and beautiful, and um, and I just think. I think that people are really trying and there's creative people who really genuinely care about sending a good message and telling a good story. So yeah, Disney's a double edged sword. But. I do
2: really love Moana. Moana just stands above and beyond so many other Disney movies for me. So I'm really glad that you guys watched that this year because
0: Moana slaps. It's so good. We also watched Robin Hood again, which I you mean, know, I grew up with, but it was a little bit too real for me this year and it's never made me want to cry before, but like, I don't know. I was feeling, I was feeling it. <laughs> I was like, we're being oppressed. <laughs> I won't go there, but it was just, it was just like a little, such the characters in, in Robin Hood, it was a little too raw. But yeah. I think I really, I really think as long, as long as creative people are being supported enough to get to do their work, I think, I think we'll continue to get good things from Disney and some not good things. And, you know, I'm a theme park junkie, so when it's safe to go again, we will be there in the park
1: well, riding was, the
0: teacups. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> just a, just the other day, there was a quote I was reading that was from Disney himself that was saying, we don't make movies to make money, which shows you how, oh my slightly (laughs) oh right (laughs) says we we don't make movies to make money we make money to make more movies which is kind of the way walt disney was it was like the second a movie was done he was already working on another one and using all that money and going into debt again
0: he whatever you think about him as as his character as a person he was very passionately driven by creativity and willing to like mortgage and triple mortgage everything he owned to make it happen. And I, I admire that. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that there, I mean, there's some, there's some made for TV Disney movies that are a little bit on the hokey side. And there's some that are, you know, I was actually, I had kind of low expectations. I figured it'd be fun, but I actually liked this a lot more than I was, planning on and I thought it had a pretty nice production value and it was a fun environment. Like if you're watching a movie, you want to, you know, unless you're watching something to kind of like cathartically experience some scary or difficult emotions, most of the time you want to be transported to someplace you want to go. I would totally hang out in this theater and eat some popcorn and watch the chaos and watch inflatable monsters attack the audience. Like it it's just a fun environment, and they really, really captured it well and it made it feel a little bit, you know, like a nice little escape. So if you miss the Megaplex right now, and we actually live walking distance from a fairly big theater that's a, is it a Regal? It's I don't, a Regal. Yeah, Regal Cinemas that we actually checked out for the first time not too long before everything had to shut down, and I regret that, and I hope they survive, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's just, it's, it's fun to go. I, I mean, yeah, ticket prices are high. You can go to a matinee and figure it out. But like once, once we're able to safely get out of the house and do those things, I'm hoping that there's enough demand that a lot of these places are able to recover because yeah, you can stream so many different things, but there's something really nice about the communal experience of being in a theater and I think a lot of us miss that right now, especially yeah. if you're a movie nerd. That's
2: the thing, like, when I talk with, like, my partner or, you know, like, my, my friends, and I'm just, like, the thing that I that I miss doing the most, other than, like, you know, not panicking every time I need to go to the grocery store or something, is I just, like, I miss going out to eat, yeah. mostly, mostly breakfast and specifically only at, like, Juniors on 12th, which I miss going to so much. So, so much. I haven't heard that them going out of business though. So I'm feeling optimistic. Um, but I miss going to the movie theater. I lived down the street from the Laurelhurst theater in Portland for like a year. And I only got to see like three movies there before the pandemic. And I miss that so much. Um, and I see that the Clinton theater hasn't gone under yet, which is awesome. And I think that the, like the, the one screen cinema movie magic on Hawthorne is still okay. Um, and I just really hope that all of those theaters that, that I really enjoyed going to and that I like have missed the opportunity to go to this past like 10 months or so, like are still there because they're just the best. They're, they're the best version of a movie going experience, at least for me.
0: This summer, our friends had, um, She had booked a private screening room at Movie Madness, which is our nonprofit uh, video rental place, which is amazing. And we've talked about it so many times that I'm not going to get into it again (laughs) on the show. But she had... They added when they they switched from being a profit to nonprofit to save it and have it be a part of the community, they added a screening room as part of their future plans. And members of the Hollywood Theater that is also running Movie Madness, people could, with their membership, make a donation and book the screening room. And she'd done so for her birthday. And because of pandemic and it's a small screening room, it just wasn't feasible to do that. So they actually opened up later in the summer, they opened up Hollywood Theater um, as an option for people who would pre-booked the screening room at Movie Madness. So we got to have the majestic, historic Hollywood Theater all to ourselves, there was, like, a group of 11 of us, cause, or 10. I can't yeah, remember how many it was we were supposed 10. to 10 so You're it was, allowed it
1: was 10 people in the in a huge, theater that seats, like, 250.
0: Yeah, yeah, the huge main screening room on the main floor. And there were a couple staff people there to give us snacks. And and it was in the middle of July. And I have to say, it was such a treat. And, like, we'd been going, you know, we go to the Hollywood Theater in previous years all the time. And it was just part of our regular lives. And I don't think it had hit me how much I'd missed it. Partially because up until the pandemic, I think Drew and I had both been feeling overscheduled and kind of harried. And life was just like, go, go, go. And so there was a tiny part of this, a very tiny part of this. It was nice to just actually slow down a little bit. But then you start to realize now I'm ready to go back. And there's nothing to go back to. And we were able to go see um, this. I think it was an early 80s horror movie called Extro, which was a lot of fun for our friend Laura's birthday. And it was such a treat. It was just such a nice experience. And it was really eerie being in a mostly empty theater. And we all had to sit very far apart from each other. But it was still, it was just so nice. And right before the shutdown, I was at the Hollywood Theater. I went by myself for a matinee screening to go see Back to the Future, which was one of my earliest theater going memories as a child cuz i saw that in 1985 when i was 5 years old with our dad and i thought it was the coolest movie absolutely in love with it and i'd seen it many times since then but i had not seen it in a theater since i was 5 years old and they did a re-release earlier this year and i went and i was just like you know what i Drew has to work and i don't know anybody else who wants to go but i Come hell or high water, i got to go see Back to the Future on the big screen again. And I'm so glad that I did. Because, like, two weeks later, everything was just like, we're done shutting it down. But it was like magic. I mean, I felt like a little kid again. And the theater was packed. And and so it was just that awesome, even though I was surrounded by strangers, it was like we were all going through these emotions throughout the story and reliving the story. Or some people were seeing it for the first time. And it was just, it's such a, I think, just theater, you know, whether it's live or Cinema, I think it's such an important part of our human experience and has been for you know well over a hundred years. And I and I think it's, I mean, before we had the cinema, we had live theater only. But I th- I just think there's something about gathering to have a story told to you, kind of in a dark setting, and there's there's just pure magic in that. And so I love I love this as a setting. And you know I've said that like probably a thousand times for this episode, but I just think. <laughs> A, it was kind of, whether it was your intention or not, it was kind of a timely episode to, like, or themed episode to do to talk about this multiplex experience when we can't really have it right now. You know, I know some people in some places, your theaters are open, but for a lot of us, they're not. Yeah.
2: I know that, um, so, like, the the primary reason I chose this movie is because um, I turned 30 this month, and that's, like, such a, like a weird milestone to hit this year. I know a lot of people, like have missed out on a lot of milestones in general but like leaving like my 20s behind has been like whoa that went by so quickly and so <laughs> I wanted to do something that um you know was aging as gracefully as I am and so I really <laughs> wanted to do a Disney Channel original movie since I got to to pick for my birthday um something that reminds me of like my nostalgic childhood um because a lot of the times the movies or but like the made for TV movies or the TV shows that we discuss on how to Davenport or that y'all discussed before I joined, like I'm seeing it for the first time because I, I wasn't cognizant of it or I wasn't alive when it was a thing. And so this was like something that I got to share with you guys. And that was like a, you know, that was a big goal of mine. <laughs> and also I can't believe this movie is 20 years old.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, I'm, it's the first thing we've covered that's post- millennium too
0: yeah oh and it won't goodness. be the last <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. no, so so it's it's the most recent thing we've ever done do you guys want to talk a little bit about the cast before we finish yeah i, I, I had a few wanted, notes but
1: before we finish talk about a few of the insane hijinks that happened oh definitely throughout the movie. Like yeah that. i'm not trying
0: to like wrap it up prematurely but we, we've been just like waxing nostalgic for a while, and I thought, oh, maybe we should talk about the cast for a minute. Talk about in the case movie. <laughs> anyone is interested. Well, one thing I wanted to mention, the um, the guy who plays the main character of Pete Riley, who's the assistant manager of the theater, um, he's played by Taylor Handley, who I immediately recognized um, recently in the last couple years. He was in... Um, the horror movie with Sandra Bullock, Bird Box, which I have not seen, but was planning to check out at some point. But I recognized him from the series The O.C. back in the early 2000s, where he plays kind of a creepy, um, scary kind of stalker character. And uh, he was in this movie in 2005 called Xerophilia, which was a little indie film. It was sort of like a coming-of-age sex comedy, but it was really interesting because... The main character, who's played by Taylor Handy, he discovers when he loses virginity that every time he has a sexual experience, he switches gender and stays that gender until he has another experience, sexual experience. So he realizes that he's not male or female. He's like a Z instead of a he or she. And that's kind of like how they approach it in the film. And so he's just like coming of age and figuring out his sexual identity and realizing that he has this whole female aspect of himself, too, that he needs to contend with. And navigating the waters of being an awkward teenager while figuring out the sexual fluidity that's happening within his body. And it's really, I thought it was really cool. It was a really interesting, it was a take on, on like, the idea of gender and identity identity. At a time when there wasn't a lot of it happening, especially as a teen comedy, you know, you'd see, you'd see some things here and there, but like, this idea that somebody had a core identity and a soul, and that they could be male or female, and that it didn't, I'm not gonna say it doesn't really matter, because it has an impact, but like, that that was interchangeable. I thought it was a really refreshing, creative idea. And I'm not sure where you can find that these days because, like I said, it was a little indie movie from 2005. But if that sounds interesting to you, go check out Xerophilia. He was really good in it. Um, I know that, like, Caitlin Wax, who plays the main character,
2: Pete's younger sister, Karen, the, mm-hmm. like, the horror movie buff, she is in an episode of Masters of Horror by John Carpenter.
0: I saw that, and it didn't say which one, and I've seen a few of those, and I was kind of wondering which one. It's Pro-Life
2: why. is the title oh. of the episode. It's an it's about, a, like, it's essentially like a Rosemary's Baby sort of thing. She's trying to abort um, an unborn demon inside of her and but like her her father is extremely conservative and um not not going to let her do that just amazing I like body horror at its
0: finest we we watched a few i mean i don't know if you remember this because it was ages ago because it was you know it was like the mid early 2000s but we watched a few of those i think you andy and i watched some of the masters of horror together it's a pretty good series yeah, I mean, and, like, John Carpenter
2: is, like, a, a fan fave for doing horror and, like, generally regarded as as doing very good horror, so.
0: They had so many people do episodes for that because they had John Carpenter and they had Dario Argento and Stuart Gordon and, um, oh, what was this? I, there's just so many, so many different people. I'm blanking on some names now, but there it was, it was a really great effort and, you know, some episodes were better than others, but it was a really interesting show, and I really enjoyed checking out the segments that I did see. And it's almost old enough for us to talk about. Not quite. A <laughs> couple more years, but like, yeah, we're so close.
2: Um, the mom is played by. she. So she plays. She's in a couple of Disney Channel original movies. She plays Xenon's aunt in the Xenon movies, but okay. also. Um, her, her name is Corinne Borer, and she mm-hmm. is, the thing I recognize her from is from Veronica Mars, which is such oh, a wait. good TV show. No, I totally <laughs> watched like, that. Yeah, she plays Leanne Mars. Veronica Mars is, like, um, I think she's, like, an absent mom, and I think she has, like, some substance abuse stuff going on, but, like, she's not around very often. Um, But, yeah, she's just, like, she has, like, this wonderful, like, 90s mom sort of, like, waifish look that is very prominent in Disney Channel movies in general. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... She,
0: I recognized her immediately, and it was bugging me, but the thing I know her from is this, like, kind of raunchy, gross-out comedy from 1983 called Joysticks, where a bunch of people who hang out in an arcade are trying to fight against the man played by uh, Joe Don Baker who's trying to shut down what he just, just sees as a den of filth and, and debauchery. And she plays, I believe she plays his daughter and she's does this like over the top Valley girl persona <laughs> that could be seen as obnoxious, but she's pretty adorable and funny in it. And she's fighting for the arcade alongside her ragtag bunch of friends. So if you like, um, those like slob versus snobs kind of gross out 80s comedies that's you know it's full of rampant inappropriateness and it's it's not something that's going to age well 80s
1: teenage sex comedies
0: right yeah <laughs> and it's there's there's a lot of things that are that are definitely that people could take issue with but if you want to check your brain at the door and watch something kind of gross and fun and dumb i recommend joysticks and she's very cute in it um so the, the
2: woman who plays Gary Terry, the fan, our favorite employee. She was in mean girls and she has this incredible cameo where she's talking about, it's like after Lindsay Lohan's character becomes famous. And it's like, I saw Katie wearing, uh, what is it? Army pants and flip flops. So now I'm wearing army pants and flip flops. And, She just, like, has this, like, wonderful cameo in that movie. And also, she's the one, for those who have seen Mean Girls, she's the one who made out with a hot dog one time in the Burn book.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's been so long since I've seen that. But, yeah, I did see that she was in it, and I was trying to, like, do I remember her? It's – oh, it's been so long. The the guy, Zeke, the employee, who –
2: is kind of lazy. It seems like he's the lazy one of the employees played by Daniel DeSanto. He's also in Mean Girls. He's um, Gretchen Wiener's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Jason, who sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a couple of Mean Girls crossovers, because they would have all been, like, the right age for when Mean Girls was being filled and coming out. Um, uh, Daniel DeSanto is also, like, mostly a voice actor, and he... He was also on Are You Afraid of the Dark, like the later seasons. He played Tucker of the Midnight Society. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's kind of one of those people where it's like he's all over the place and you would definitely recognize his voice. I totally thought that he might have been in one of the Mighty Ducks movies, but he's not. I have him confused with someone else, but he looks like
0: he could have been. <laughs> Talk like about 90s nostalgia of Mighty oh Ducks. Oh,
2: my gosh. Mighty Ducks is one of, like, that whole trilogy – is very good, but I think Mighty Ducks remains one of my perennial favorites. Like I, I love the Mighty Ducks movies.
0: It's been so long. I only ever saw the first one. I remember liking it. I, it's been so long since I've seen it. I mean, it's it's still good. You know, it's a classic story of like
2: a high powered lawyer who gets a DUI and is literally forced by a Canadian court to, or no, not a Canadian Minnesota court to um, coach pee wee hockey. You know, so a classic. Basically, Canada. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure, like all Disney Channel things of the time, this this Disney Channel movie was filmed in Toronto, um, mm. because all of the actors are Canadian.
1: <laughs> sure, basically everything between like 1992 and 2010 was all filmed in filmed Canada. In
2: tr- yeah,
1: most television and a lot <laughs> of movies.
0: Oh man. Yeah, so all, like, favorite? X-Files
1: was all there. Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of Canadian production stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, one of my favorite things is to spot people on X-Files who were later in lots of other things. Who was, Who's who of X-Files? <laughs> Tony Shaloub was on the X-Files.
2: <laughs> I, Seth Green, he's one of my favorite, like, X-Files people that he's in, like, one episode where he plays, like, a stoner teenager.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, but Set. Drew, you wanted to talk about like
2: the hijinks. Jack Black, right?
0: Oh, well, no, there's a, there's an episode with Jack Black and Giovanni Rubisi oh, that just oozes 90s. And you know what? We will have to come back around and do some more x So maybe we should just do like,
1: Who's Seth like Green some cameos.
0: Seth Green is with a girl. Scott at... Evil. What was that? Oh, he's
1: Scott Evil from the Austin Powers movie. No, no, no. Like. Oh
0: on... no, on the X Files, he's in the first season. He's really young With and. The
1: really long hair. Yeah,
0: he he's in an episode. Um, he's in an episode where Mulder finds out that there's this air base where there's UFO sightings, and so now we're going to talk about the X Files for a minute, kids. <laughs> um, and he runs into him and Scully are like breaking onto this air force base, and they meet these two stoner kids, and they're like, Oh yeah, we come out here to look at the lights and. And Scully makes a comment about how Mulder 5 was that stoned. And he looks at her and he's like, oh, you know, like, oh, do you tell? Tell about your wayward youth, Scully. But uh, you see Seth Green, like, demonstrating UFO flight with a hamburger and a diner, which is pretty fun. <laughs> he's like, did we tell him about the landmines and junk?
1: <laughs> so, yeah. so, back to the movie.
0: <laughs> back to the movie, yes.
1: The movie um, where... um. The Phantom is making crazy things happen. So, just kind of like a, a quick overview of, of the Phantom. Uh, the Phantom somehow rigs a candy dispensing device, which apparently you don't have to pay for candy in this lobby. It's just literally a, a like a flap you lift up and candy comes out.
0: Well, it might be like the cafeteria style concessions where you get the tray and you get all the stuff and then you pay at the end
1: okay we'll go for that because kids totally won't steal Mm -hmm. from that
0: no but i mean megaplexes (laughs) have those that's the feature (laughs) right
1: and so uh he he rigs it to shoot candy all over the floor which our our hero pete fixes by grabbing a hockey stick and and like hockey sticking is there a better term for that? No, there isn't. <laughs> he, he's hockey sticking uh, all the gumballs, like, into a trash can as if that's going to be the fastest mode of cleaning up gumballs on the floor.
2: Oh, yeah, it's totally useless. He's he have, like, four gumballs.
1: Yeah, he's getting, like, four gumballs at a time per whack, and there's thousands on the ground, and he goes at it for, like, you know, twelve to thirteen wax, and then he's like, "Yeah," everyone cheers, and it's like, "Okay, that's that's fixed."
2: <laughs> <laughs> the general audience members of this universe are always clapping for whomever is doing anything in front of them. Like they're clapping yes. when Pete is hitting gumballs with a hockey stick, which is not entertaining, mostly just annoying. They're clapping yeah. for everything Mickey Rooney does, no matter what it is. Like they are just. There is no one angry in this universe, and I can't tell if I find that scarier than the phantom or not.
0: Well, no, they're angry. They're angry when things are malfunctioning, though, because like, they're throwing popcorn at them when they're making announcements about how you can get a refund, or like right. when they're in the ticket line and it's taking forever, they're definitely angry then. But I guess once it starts getting super wacky and they're all inside, they're just cool with whatever happens. Yeah.
1: Well, and they're also really easily talked down, yeah, and
0: doesn't that's like one of the most unbelievable parts of this movie for anyone who's worked in customer service right.
1: The bar I work in is connected to a movie theater like there's a movie theater element to our bar. and customers that are like anyway delayed in their movie are not that easily talked down. Um, just giving somebody their money back or a ticket for another movie is never good enough for them.
0: Well, like do they ever get do they ever get mad if the movie just happened to suck? Are they like, This movie was terrible? I want uh, my money uh, back
1: people make that comment all the time in like that I'm joking manner but
0: not joking. Seriously,
1: I'd like my money back and then I always just like go, ha 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 ha, you're right, that was funny. And then I walk away.
0: <laughs> like, yeah.
1: I'm not giving your money back after you watch the entire movie. If you, like, walk out of the movie, like, 30 minutes in and, like, this is crap, I can't watch the rest of this, sure, I'm going to give you your money back. But if you watch the movie to the very bitter end of it and you didn't like it, that's not my problem anymore.
0: <laughs> oh, I worked, I worked at a pizza parlor for years. And if you complain about your pizza after you've consumed the entire pizza, Right, once you eat the food,
1: you don't get the money back. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> this burger I just finished was disgusting. Okay, thanks for your money and bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but also let's see, what else does the the Phantom strikes the popcorn machine?
0: Well, and then then it's he starts affecting various screenings because he mm-hmm. you know he makes he makes glimpses of Genevieve, just glimpses, right? And he makes. We never see does he do anything in the Farmer Brown goes to town? Like, I was just I was like, I, like
1: I, I am afraid of what she goes like, on in Brown. barnyard
0: smells or something. I don't know.
1: Or release the there was animals a, in there.
0: There was like a tornado movie. Mm-hmm. I think they're kinda of spoofing on Twister. Yeah. And they had which
1: would have been relevant at the time.
0: Right. And they had a giant fan in there and they had um for the midnight madness. The guy had rigged up the smoke machine inside and was messing with that, but the screening hadn't happened yet, but right. there was like there was a prelude to like shenanigans were happening to, to rig up that screening. Right. In the
1: very beginning of the movie, there was a giant monster that you're attaching to the roof and uh, the giant monster ends up missing and then you find out it's in the In the screening room, or in the theater, that they're going to show the big premiere. And it starts
0: attacking people. The
1: big premiere that we've been waiting for all night, which is premiering in this theater for who knows what reason. Because, like, it's supposed to be like a... It's not like they're in downtown L.A. or something, right? I'm it's because
2: the, the main actress of Midnight Mayhem is from whatever um, small town. That's right. why she knows Movie, oh, movie she, knew,
0: she She knew Mickey Rooney's character mm-hmm. Movie Mason. Movie
1: Mason, right. That's right. Do you right. think
0: his parents named him that?
1: <laughs> his legal first name is Movie. Movie.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Possibly, because his parents own the theater um yeah so they're the final finale of you know they're all getting into this theater and then they start blowing up the giant monsters and to there's a weird subplot where there's like a a sword that you have to like if you can pull it out of the stone, you get, like, free tickets to a movie or whatever. Which
0: just makes me think of the Disney part, because they have a sword in the stone in Disneyland. Right. that you can go pull. It doesn't ever come out, but it's, like, a photo op.
1: Right. But, like, he has to get this sword out so he can go attack the giant blow-up monster. That instead of, like, there's, there's three blow-up monsters, one at each door entrance... And one giant one over the top. And he could have just gone to the door and stabbed that one, let it deflate, and let people out. (laughs) Yeah. But instead of getting either of the doors open, he goes to the balcony, jumps on top of the biggest (laughs) one, and just starts stabbing straight down. And there's people underneath this thing, I mean, as far as, like, the plot goes... So if he just keeps stabbing until it gets to the ground, he's gonna start stabbing people. And it, that that was the scariest part of this movie <laughs> to me <laughs> was the idea that he was about to start stabbing people.
0: I liked I liked how Mickey Rooney's character at some point they're shorthanded so they have him doing some ticket taking, but it ends up blocking up the line even more because he's telling people they don't want to go see the movie that they bought a ticket to because it's not quality. And it just made me think of those like, you know, record store hipsters who are like, no, this album sucks. I can't let you buy it. (laughs) Or I'm not going to tell you where that section is. Like they, you know, like the guys in high fidelity, Mickey Rooney was, was the uh, precursor to those guys.
2: (laughs) I would really love to see a high fidelity sort of remix where it is a movie theater, but it's, like, some sort of large corporate movie theater like this Megaplex, and there is just a an old white man telling you that you're not allowed to see the
0: movie you want to see. <laughs> I
2: would watch that
0: movie.
2: It would be he's very meta.
0: Them, he's given them tickets to some art film that he he really loves. He's like, he, yeah, yeah, I know. You wanted to go see... You know, the latest Jurassic World 25, but I'm giving you a ticket to Valerie and her Week of Wonders. That's a good movie.
1: (laughs) It's a messed up movie.
0: But it's something, you know, it's it's art house, man.
1: It's
2: definitely artistic. Yeah. We just, we stand all heroines named Valerie because there are so few of us. It's like that movie and then the main female protagonist from Little Nikki, and then that's it.
0: Okay, I think I blocked most of that movie out. Little Nicky?
1: <laughs> All I can ever think of from Little Nicky is Popeyes is the shit.
0: That's where uh, I learned what
2: Popeyes was, and when I moved to Portland and finally lived very close to not one but two different Popeyes, it was like the best first six months of my life. Right. Death by manners. Oh my god. When you found out that
1: Popeyes <laughs> was the shit.
2: It's and so they, good. There's always a line. At the Popeye's closest to me now. There's always a line, and I respect that.
1: Oh, man. Fast food lines are insane. I just don't, like, is it that hard to make food at home, or?
2: Yes, I, it I it? can't make Popeye's at home. <laughs>
1: that's no, right. that's true, and yeah. When
0: you that's want, what the heart wants what it wants, Drew. Right. Life is hard enough. That chicken sandwich, man, everybody's all about it.
1: <laughs> right. Like, I mean, sides
0: we, are so we good. made it,
1: like. Just because we we needed... It's like a situation where you need food.
0: You're hangry. You've been yeah. running errands all day.
1: And it happens to us like a couple of times a month. Yeah. But I can't imagine there's so many people like... It can't be that everyone's on there once or twice a month, hanger, I need food, I'm getting, so I'm just going to go through the fast food line.
0: Yeah.
1: That, like, the fast food lines after this pandemic, it's like a half an hour to get through a fast food line. It's like, what the hell, people?
2: Well, also, you have to imagine that, like, the that, like, fast food restaurants are also dealing with, like, the staff shortages that regular restaurants are dealing with. Because right. they are also just, so it's like, it's not as fast as you're accustomed to because instead of having like eight people working the line and getting your needs met, it's like three people and they probably haven't taken a bathroom break.
0: No, right.
2: which is just heinous. But I mean, God, God love the Popeye's because I have been in some truly long Popeye's lines and it's not because I was hangry. Um, it's just because I really wanted the Popeye's and I was willing to wait for it.
1: Right. Um, we were it, actually it was, in Popeye's a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. And like
2: worth the wait. Bo- I mean it was both worth times
1: it. <laughs> we ended up with like extra stuff because like they hand us the order and we're like, Oh, we didn't order like it doesn't matter, just take it and go.
2: Yeah, <laughs> just go. Oh man. Take what all our by? food and leave. Yes. <laughs> One time this is just like a heartwarming Popeye story. One time I like, <laughs> our new podcast. Yeah, our new Popeye stories. Um I was I was driving around um, my old neighborhood and I was on my way home and I was like, man, I'm really hungry and I, and I don't cook for myself at this point in time. So I'm just going to go to Popeye's. But I also feel very shy about ordering um, at fast food, like ordering at the call box. Like it makes yeah. me really anxious. I'm someone who really benefits from being able to order online beforehand. And so I just like Googled it. Like I pulled off into a neighborhood and Googled it just to see if Popeye's had like an online ordering platform and they totally did. And I was so excited. And so I put in my order and I waited like five minutes, listened to the radio a little bit and then drove to Popeye's all the confidence in the world, completely unearned being like, I am not going to be nervous and stupid this time. I am in charge of my Popeye's destiny. <laughs> I pull up to the call box and I was like, hello, I have placed an online order and the person who's was working was like, we don't do that. And I was like, what? what do you mean? She's like, well, what did you order? You can just order now. I was like, no, but what did, what do you mean? You don't, what? I was just like, so I was like, so flummoxed and red faced and distressed. And she's like, you can just go ahead and pull up to the window. We'll figure out what happened. And they were so nice. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just, I wasn't prepared and I don't remember what I ordered. And now I'm getting to that point where I'm just going to cry. And then she's like, no, it's okay. We figured out what happened. Like somehow I had logged into a thing that they were just launching, but it's only for like Postmates or people who are like picking up food for another, like a third party ordering platform. And I just ordered directly into it. And so it's like, I'd already paid for it and everything. And I was just very flummoxed and they just gave me my food and they, you know, if they judged me, they waited until I was gone, which I respect that. (laughs) And so if you're ever in Portland, go to the Popeyes on MLK, the one across from the Starbucks and the Walgreens.
1: Not oh, the other okay. Popeyes not on MLK, Not the one uh, further down next south. Next to the liquor store. Yeah. Yeah,
2: the one that's near um like the Friends of Trees and the Wonder Ballroom. Not that that's, yeah, not, my, that's not my that's not my home Popeyes. Across
1: from Friends of Trees, the one we used to always go to when we lived in that neighborhood.
2: Mhm. Yeah, cuz I was that was closer to where you were and the one that's on um, I think it's it's not Killingsworth, whatever. The one that's on MLK across from the Starbucks, that's my home Popeye's. That's, uh, that's where I go.
1: That Popeye's was instrumental in my very last birthday dinner party because I used to, like, for a while, <laughs> I was trying to throw dinner parties for my birthday, and I'd, like, always make, like, a fancy dinner, and it, like, was slowly degrading because people would always eat before or bring their own food or like they just didn't (laughs) understand the concept so finally this time i was just like all right i'll make a bunch of really awesome southern side dishes myself and then i'm just gonna buy a bunch of popeyes and then half the people had eaten before they showed up and i'm just like you know what never doing this again anymore you all ruined dinner parties for me
2: who who shows up to a dinner party having pre-eaten Right. The hubris. The hu- I show up to a dinner party having not eaten that day so I'm hypoglycemic and unpleasant <laughs> and I'm ready oh, no, to be I bed. didn't know you yet. Like it's Thanksgiving <laughs> and you've been saving
1: exactly. up.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. like I have been starving dinner myself. Party. I am
1: dinner is implied in dinner party.
2: Right? Yeah, I'm sorry that you know people who do not understand the concept of someone else laboring to make food for you. But you know,
0: I digress. <laughs> Phantom of the Megaplex. What a good movie! <laughs> well, right, and like we said, it's on it's on Disney Plus streaming right now, and I'm not sure how long they keep things before they rotate stuff out. But that's I a don't think they're rotating out. The, if you're interested in checking this out, yeah, I don't think they're rotating out the original content. Um okay. well, because so, they have the license to it, so.
2: Yeah, exactly. So they can just show the decoms whenever. Good for them.
0: Still don't have Tower of Terror on there, I don't think, though. It's but suspicious. now I own it. So we're gonna have to get back. Be- we're gonna have to get to that. That's such a good movie. We'll
1: eventually get there.
0: I found we'll it on there. DVD for five dollars from Best Buy. Ordered it online. Kind of forgot Best Buy existed. <laughs> oh yeah. That's fair. So we don't even live that
1: far from one. No,
0: we live pretty close to one. I mean, they're base of like you know inventory for movies and stuff is coming from a big warehouse probably so I don't know that going to the Best Buy would have gotten us anywhere but I appreciated the low price because that is actually a movie that you can purchase through the Disney store online but they wanted like $15 plus shipping for it and I like it but I don't I don't mean spoilers for that episode I don't know if it's a $15 like movie (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great that Phantom
1: of the Relatable. Megaplex is uh, streaming on Disney+. Plus. I'm not sure I would pay money to own Phantom of the Megaplex, though.
2: You didn't even used to release the Disney Channel original movies on the DVD. Like, that wasn't until, like, after, like, High School Musical came out, and that was such a smash sensation. Um, but, like, I'm not sure a DVD exists of Phantom of the Megaplex.
0: Well, that, that's, I mean, that's true to network television movies and cable television movies as well. They don't, generally don't usually get a DVD release. A few of them did. And like a lot of 80s stuff, sometimes you'll find it on an old VHS copy that some collector is selling for way too much money. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, they weren't thinking about. Having it be part of someone's collection, they just thought this is something we're gonna put on to provide some entertainment for a while, and then, and then they're done with it. So, yeah, it makes sense that Disney would would follow suit. Yeah. Well.
1: We got any final thoughts? Anything we need to add to Phantom of the Megaplex? <laughs> I mean, oh, the, told anyone who the Phantom was.
2: Oh yeah, so I guess we didn't go full spoilers.
1: No. Good for you us. Leave it that way. Let them. Yeah.
2: Talk. There's many red herrings, so honestly, I had forgotten who the Phantom was, and I was pleasantly surprised at the end. Um, so yeah, like, go watch Phantom of the Megaplex because we're not gonna tell you who the Phantom is, and you're gonna want to know.
1: I really wanted it to be that Mickey Rooney had an evil twin.
0: Oh, my God. That would have been so good. That would have been a fun movie. Also, would have given me nightmares probably, though, because I was getting a little creeped out by him towards the end.
1: And it would have been doubly as bad if there was two of them. Right. <laughs> two Mickey Rooneys.
2: Or if it, it was the younger jokes. brother sitting on the younger sister's shoulders wearing a trench coat. Um, oh, yeah. Well, that would yeah, have been hilarious. That would have been good, too. That would have been so good. But the logistics of it, they, so they wouldn't have been able to run around. People,
1: not. But it's the not. Fandom.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh, man. It's its not the love interest that barely makes an appearance in this movie. <laughs> really At the very beginning of this I movie, I thought that the co-worker Hillary, the, like, grandma, <laughs> yeah. like, I thought that she was going to end up being the love interest. Like, it was going to be the nerdy girl, turns out to be the hot girl, and the hot girl is, like, kind of full of herself and blah, 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 like they do in movies so much. That's not...
2: You would need, like, an extra hour to get into that. They just didn't have that time or budget, Drew.
0: I also just think it's okay to have a movie where the main characters aren't involved in a romance. They could just be a story about things that are happening in their lives like that's totally fine platonic
1: relationships between Mm -hmm. man and woman
0: yeah in
1: a movie or tv show thing
0: that exists in reality from time to time
1: impossible
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) oh anywho (laughs)
2: anywho but yeah i'm so glad that we got to do this this was a fantastic like really low stakes December choice to round out a very high stakes calendar year.
1: Yeah, right. it was It was actually, it was, I appreciate what you brought here, Val. I, Thank you. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, it came out at a time that I would have never watched this any other way. And now I kind of want to watch some more uh, Disney made for TV movies that were not designed for me to watch.
0: <laughs> I'm definitely more inclined to check out things that are from a point in time when I was already an adult because, you know, like, when this came out, I was 20 years old, so definitely wasn't on my radar, Radar never heard of it, and I wasn't really watching the Disney Channel much at that point, if really ever probably. Um, I think at that point in my life I was hanging out with my friends and watching Hammy and Hamster the Friends at 3 a.m., for Aww. reasons. <laughs> reasons. <laughs> watching, you know, watching old episodes of the X Files because in 2000 it started to go downhill. Um, but yeah, if I think I think it's it's fun, and I and I'm not the type of person who's like, oh well, it wasn't from my childhood, I can't watch it, or I can't check out kid things when I'm an adult. That's definitely not true. I'm down to check out all kinds of things. But I was just really impressed with, um some of the details as far as some of the dialogue and the characters and the movie references as somebody who loves movies I felt like it was a nice little I wouldn't say full on love letter but it was like a nice postcard to <laughs> to us who love movies and it also great if you have kids and they're kind of budding cinephiles I think this is a fun one that you could show them that they'd be into
1: Take note Joel
0: Yeah <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, um, I think that's gonna that's gonna do it for our December episode. If you haven't listened to our older December episodes, we in our very first season, when we were brand new and still figuring this out, we did a fun episode where we compared different versions of the story in All Through the House, which is about a killer Santa Claus, which was featured in the Tales from the Crypt movie and then also in the Tales from the Crips um series and also was in the Tales from the Crypt comic book so if you're feeling a little Christmas horror specifically and you haven't heard that episode you might go back into our archives and check that out or we did also did a um kind of a terror in the snow type of themed episode in 2018 where we compared a Twilight Zone episode and an X-Files episode that had um sort of a a um Story that was very much like the movie The Thing, where somebody is somebody's is an alien, somebody's infected, who is it, no one can trust anyone, that kind of intrigue. So if those are things you think you might like to check out, you can check out our back episodes. You can find all of those on the haunted And as always, we appreciate you listening. We hope you have a very safe and happy holiday season. Please stay safe. Please be considerate of others. Everybody's really stressed out right now. I know it sounds cliche, but we really are in this together, and the only way out of this is together. So let's be kind and conscientious and stay home as much as possible. And until next time, join us again on The Haunted Davenport. Bye. Bye.
1: Yeah.